Today's the day, church. I consider it a privilege to be here with you on this final gathering of Redeemer Baptist Church. I'd rather be here than anywhere else in the world. If you're visiting with us, like we say every week, we are so glad that out of all the things you could have done on a Sunday morning, you decided to come and hang out with us and hear God's word and worship God with us. We pray that you would be blessed and that the Lord would meet you here today in a powerful way, the way that he's met with us for seven years. Seven years. There's mixed emotions in the room, and I can say that certainly because there's mixed emotions in my heart. But despite everything I'm feeling here, I know for certain that I want today to be a day of worship, a day of adoration to God, a day that we rejoice because God has been so faithful. He's going to continue to be so faithful. He's so good. And I see the goodness of God in the gift of today to be here with you guys, gathered with my family, gathered with friends, because I get one more opportunity. The Lord thought it was good. The last opportunity to encourage you from the word of God as your pastor, and I'm excited to do that. Over the past several weeks, we've heard four last words. Love. EJ reminded us of the simple yet profound truth we always got to remember, but we always seem to forget. God loves us, and he sent Jesus to die for our sins and reconcile us to himself. How much more will he not give us all things? There is no greater love than this. Humble. Gary reminded us, it's those of humble heart that draw near to the Lord, and the Lord draws near. So my encouragement again to second what he said, yes and amen, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and draw near to God because he's worthy of it. He's worthy to be trusted. Put your trust in him. Remember, Pastor Bob exhorted us to remember who our God is and all that our God has done, not just all the way through the history of the scriptures, all the way leading up to this point, the history of salvation, but remember all that God has done in Redeemer Baptist Church, everything he's done in and through us. He's worthy for our labors. He's worthy for us to continue stepping forward in faith and trust. And lastly, live. Pastor Chad exhorted us to respond to the gospel. Respond to it with repentance and faith. Give yourself your whole life fully and finally in devotion to God. Worship God. Live different now that you've been saved by the grace of Christ. Conform to Jesus now in his ways, in every way, and how he says you ought to live, you live that way because he's the Lord. And now today, my last word to you, my beloved church, labor. Labor until the end. As you, We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn there with me. If you don't have a Bible, you can find it on the Blue Pew Bible under your chair or in the chair in front of you. It's going to be on page 962, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 58. It's right at the very end of the chapter. And, and here's something I want you to, to hear. As you turn there, I would actually invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning. If you're able, would you stand with me as we honor the Lord and the reading of his word, the preaching of his word over the past seven years, including today. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50 through 58, says this. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, 
Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of our God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thanks for standing with me. For our time this morning, I want our lens to be the Apostle Paul's exhortation in verse 58. Paul assumes the church is already laboring in the Lord, and he just encourages them to do it all the more. After grounding them in the promises of Christ's resurrection in chapter 15, here he exhorts the church one more time to continue laboring and do so until the end. So this morning, I want us to see three promises that should drive us to labor. And then I want to give you a final exhortation for living a labor-filled life. Three promises. These are promises that you should believe. These are promises I would encourage you to press into your heart. Just like we forget that God loves us, we forget these things. I would encourage you to take these with you. Promise number one. Only Jesus brings hope. The promise there is that he brings hope. Only Jesus brings hope. Flip back a page, actually, with me to to chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Paul writes this. Now, I would remind you, church, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is where it all starts, church. This is where it started for you. Do you remember the day the Lord brought you this message, the gospel? The message once for all delivered to the saints. Do you remember the day when Jesus poured himself out, that that life-giving water flowed into your thirsty soul and the Holy Spirit breathed new resurrection life into your lungs. Do you remember that day? Do you remember that transition that you felt from hopelessness to hopefulness? It all changed. I remember that day. And I want the rest of the world to know what that feels like. Jesus does too. This reminder here from the Apostle Paul is a reminder that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the perfect life that Jesus lived in our place when we couldn't live that life, the death that he died to pay the penalty for our sin that we owed against God, the wrath of God lying over us because of our sin, Jesus paid that debt in full and the resurrection life that he rose to give us for free by faith. All of it comes by his grace, not by anything that we've done to deserve it. All we need to do is repent and go to Jesus. What a glorious reality. Jesus alone can bring real hope for the hopeless because only Jesus can actually deliver on what Jesus promises. And he proves that by his resurrection from the dead. Some people, you know, I've had conversations with plenty of people about Jesus, and and some people, they they push back, and and, and they claim that Jesus is just like the rest of of these all-presumed saviors of the world. He's just like Muhammad. He's just like Joseph Smith. He's just like Gandhi. He's just like everybody else. But what they fail to realize is that all those guys are dead. Jesus is alive. He's alive, and he's sitting on the right hand of God. And if Jesus is alive, if he really did resurrect from the dead, then everything Jesus said must be true. Some, it must be true that all those who are weary and heavy laden can actually come to Jesus and find rest. It must be true that 
He really is the only way. He really is the truth. He really is the life. And like he said, no one can come to the Father except through him. He's the narrow gate through which we must go that leads to eternal life because the, the wide gate that everybody seems to be going down in the world only leads to death. It must be true that he's the resurrection and the life, which means not only did he resurrect, but he can give life. And if anyone believes in him, Jesus said, though he dies, yet shall he live. He will live indeed. It's true because Jesus is alive. And in verses 5 through 11, right after what we just read, Paul goes on to cite over 500 eyewitnesses to Jesus in his body, bodily resurrected once he died. And then the the door of the tomb was moved and he appeared to them. The God-man is alive. And therefore, he not only just offers hope of salvation, offers hope for those who need it, But he delivers on his promises. And there's a world out there searching for that kind of hope. Are you searching for that kind of hope this morning? Have you found that kind of hope? Could you tell me, honestly, look me in the eyes and say, yeah, I have a hope that surpasses all understanding. I'm good. The only person you can find that in is Jesus. But that's the best news in the world. This hope from Jesus is a hope for today. Look at verse 19. Paul writes, if in Christ... We have hope in this life only. We are of all people most to be pitied. The reason why he writes this is because there were some Corinthians in the church who were denying the resurrection of the Jesus. This is nothing new. This even goes back to Jesus' day. The Sadducees denied that there was ever any resurrection, and they tried to confront Jesus on those things. But Jesus and his wisdom of the Holy Spirit pushed back on them, and they, they couldn't even respond a word. Paul here pushes back on that same logic in these Corinthian churches, and the implication from this verse is that, in fact, there is hope in this life. There is hope. We don't want to miss this. Jesus, first, I want you to see this. Jesus, first, gives hope for today in this life. He gives us hope today. There's a hope for those of you who feel like you've wasted your whole life. There's hope for those of you who have broken relationships. It feels like you can't mend any of them whatsoever. Jesus is that hope. There's hope for you and your children who've gone astray. There's hope for the prisoner to be set free. Hope for the addict to get clean. Hope for those who have never had one new start to have a new start, a new beginning, a change to walk in the forgiveness of Jesus. There is hope to be set free. There's a hope to be found in this life because when we put our faith in Jesus... Jesus starts that work in us right now today, working on us from the inside out right now. And then guess what? He starts working through us in the world that he wants to save. The Holy Spirit begins to sanctify our hearts, our minds, and from there he sanctifies our actions. When Jesus gets a hold of us, he transforms everything that we do today. Have you been transformed by Jesus in that kind of way? There's hope for change today when you seek Jesus first. But not just today. There's also hope for the life to come. You see, the Bible is clear. The human, the human experience can even verify it. You don't have to teach a child who's just been born how to be selfish You don't have to teach a child how to hit and how to fight and how to be angry. The human experience testifies to the fact that we are sinners. We've all sinned. We've all turned away from God. And we do what we think is best, not what he thinks is best. We pursue after our own desires. We say, forget your desires, God. I know what I need, and I'm going to get it. And this has left us hopeless. Hopeless. Who would have thought in your pursuit of everything in this world, you'd be left hopeless? We'd be hopelessly under the wrath of God because God is good and he's a God of justice. And as a God of righteous justice, he will not let the guilty go unpunished. If you've sinned, there's a debt to pay. But he's also merciful. This is why I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Because I want you to know that all of that's true. The bad news is really true, but the good news is really true. God is merciful, and he's gracious, and he's slow to anger, slow to fulfill his purpose. His patience with you is meant to lead you to repentance because God wants to give you eternal life. Do you believe that? 
that mercy and grace comes through Jesus. Jesus offers hope in the life to come because he suffered the wrath of God poured out on him at the cross in our place so that by faith we, imperfect people, he gives us his perfect righteousness and then takes our sinfulness, the most unreasonable exchange in all of human history, God takes our sin and gives us his righteousness by faith and he makes us right with God. Are you right with God this morning? He can do it. He gives us eternal life through the shed blood of Jesus. What a hope. What a hope. We can look forward to life today, but we can also look forward to the life beyond the grave. On the contrary, though, eternal death awaits those without Jesus. Because the reality is that we will all be raised. Jesus says it in John 5, there's a resurrection to life and there is a resurrection of judgment. And I want you to hear that there is no salvation in anyone else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we can be saved. doesn't matter what the name is, how good they are, what they've done. There's no other name in this world that can save but Jesus. And he can do it. Knowing Jesus alone brings hope. Hear me, church. That should drive us to labor. We shouldn't be content sitting around and enjoying all the hope that we have while there's a world out there lost and dying without any hope at all. People committing suicide, rates higher than we've ever seen, overdosing on drugs, taking advantage of others, taking other people's lives. You know why? Because they're hopeless. They need Jesus. Knowing the hopelessness that Jesus saved us from and that song of hope that he put on our lips should bring us deep joy and then that joy should overflow in worship of God and as we are worshiping God in this hope that we've received, in the hope that he's given, we should inevitably labor. We should labor. Healthy hope is selfless. It's a hope that multiplies If you've got genuine hope, it just overflows out of your life. Does it? Do you have that kind of hope? I would encourage you to seek after the Lord this morning for it. The key this morning isn't guilt. Guilt tripping people to to labor for the kingdom of God never worked. It never will. The key this morning isn't guilt. The key is glory. Glory in the Lord Jesus. And the more you glory in the Lord Jesus, the more you're going to want to share his name with the world. Promise number two. Only Jesus gives victory. Only Jesus gives victory. Verse 54 into 54 into 55, it says, Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where's your victory? O death, where's your sting? Paul right here is quoting from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 25, and the prophet Hosea. Verse 13, these were prophets in the Old Testament who who prophesied of a day when the Lord God would swallow up death forever. And this language, swallowed up, means to completely destroy. The Lord God says he would destroy death forever. Now look down at verse 57. Who is it that brings about this destruction, this victory over death? God does it, and he does it through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus himself was victorious over death, and he now can give that same victory to us. Death couldn't hold Jesus in the grave. Our Lord was beaten to death. Our Lord was bruised. Our Lord was murdered on a Roman torture device. He was put into a tomb, expected completely never to return again like he said he would. But guess what? On the third day, God raised him up and moved the stone away, and then Jesus stepped out of that tomb with all authority in heaven and on earth, given to him. Every knee one day will bow. Every every tongue will confess to this Jesus because this Jesus was given all authority by the Father. And he says so in Matthew 28 when he commissions his disciples to go, be going, and as you're going, be making disciples of all nations. And if this Jesus has all the authority, then I think we ought to believe what he says and we ought to do it. We ought to go and make disciples in every nation, starting here 
as we are going, whatever paths the Holy Spirit has set for us in this life, as we are going, we should be about making disciples of all nations. And I tell you what, in Northern Virginia, there's a lot of nations represented. You can reach the nations just right here in Northern Virginia. You don't have to go overseas to one place. But the point is, we ought to labor. Labor. If he has all authority, this means that Jesus has taken the power of death. And the scriptures say, Hebrews Hebrews 2.14, the devil is the one who holds that power. Which means Jesus has stripped the devil and death of all their power. And now Jesus, right now, rules over them. He reigns over them. And he will reign over them until Jesus puts every last one of his enemies under his feet, including death. Death, Revelation 20, is the last enemy to be destroyed. But the point here is that death will be destroyed. Thanks to Jesus. And thanks to Jesus, death is now powerless over those of us who are being saved. That's why Paul calls it sleep. You know how unthreatening sleep sounds? A lot of us want sleep. Lord, give it to him. Jesus gives us, believers, this victory. And hear me. This isn't just a victory that comes in the end. This is a victory that we have now. Again, that's why we call death sleep. It's nothing but a doorway. It's nothing but, a, but an entryway into the eternal life with our God that our God promised because our God loves us so much. He loves us so much. And our Father, out of the great love with which he loved us, gave us Jesus. He united us with Christ. And hear me, the Father longs to have us with him where he is. How often do you remember that? The Father longs for you to be with him where he is. That's what great love he has for us. He looks forward, I look forward to the day with joy to that day because I know my Father will receive me into his kingdom through the blood of Jesus and the regeneration of his spirit and the Father will embrace me in his arms. He will embrace us in his arms. Do you long for your Father's embrace? We will be with him one day, and he'll be with us, and we'll see him face to face, and he will never leave us again. Maybe you're here, and you don't know what that kind of love is like, the love, the depths of the love of a father who would sacrifice anything to be united with us, including his own son. God will be the father that you've always wanted, but never knew you could have. So go to him. Go to him and find that love waiting for you, the love you've been searching for, like the father running out to reach the prodigal when the prodigal comes home. Finally, let's rejoice. Come and feast with me. I've waited for you. I love you. We have the victory. It's been given to us. Victory over death also means victory over death's effects. Weakness, victory. Disease, victory. Sickness, victory. And ultimately, the loss of life, victory. When we come into the kingdom, we will have been made like him, perfect, glorified, because we're going to see him as he is. And he's going to take our lowly bodies, and he's going to transform them into his glorious body. No more bodies that are frail and weak and creak and moan, knees that give out, minds that don't work the way we want them, hair falling out. Lord, do it quick. I don't want to lose my hair. Lord, bring it. All things will be made new. Specifically here, our bodies. Our bodies will be made new. Victory over death also means victory over the pain associated with death. The sorrow, the loneliness, the loss. Many of you, church, have experienced that in your time here at RBC. And I want you to know the Lord knows your pain. He knows that pain. And one day he's going to make it all right. All of it. That day all your sorrows will turn to joy. That day all your mourning will turn to dancing. That day 
you will never have to fear being separated from the ones you love because death will be no more. Jesus took it away, and he puts death to death. He gives it a taste of his own medicine. Having this victory should drive us to labor. We should be laborers because of this truth. It gives us confidence because we know that no matter what the world throws at us, it can bring all the persecution, it can bring all the rivalry, it can bring all the loss, it can bring as many threats of death that it wants. What can man do to us? What can he do? Take my life? Thanks. Thank you, because you're, you're opening that door for me to be reunited with my Lord Jesus. What is a few days sacrifice to the work of the Lord, labored for the Lord? This time is a mist. We are in a mist. And what we do in this mist matters for eternity. What are you doing today? Laboring. Are you walking in confidence in your labor? Remembering a promise like this and really pressing this promise into your heart, it actually produces that kind of boldness that we see in the book of Acts to be able to stand up against the world, against the flesh, and against the devil, come what may without wavering one time. Stephen took every stone to the face with his eyes on Jesus, standing in the throne of heaven, ready to receive him into glory. Do you want that kind of boldness? You can have it. It's yours. Ask him for it. Walk in it. Having the victory should also produce in us an urgency. Apart from Christ... We are enemies of God. And all enemies will be put under his feet. Every knee will bow. Like I said, every tongue will confess that he's Lord, whether it's out of allegiance or out of aggression. As we abide in Christ and develop the heart of the Father as his children, not one of us in this room should want judgment for the lost. Deep down in our hearts, we should want people to be saved, to be redeemed. We don't want them to have to be under the feet of Christ. But how else will that change unless we take the message that we have and go take it to them and share it with them? How will they know that there's this judgment ahead if we're the ones with the hope and we're not there giving them this hope of the gospel? They too, no matter how far you think they are from the Lord, they too can have the same victory that you have. You know why? Because you didn't do anything to deserve it yourself. Neither do they. Who cares how far they are? Who cares how many drugs they're high on? Who cares how far you think they are away from Jesus? Jesus would love to meet them. Because he can change their life. Would you take the gospel to them? Would you take the gospel to the homeless, to the destitute, to the poor? Would you labor for those who are weak and in need? Would you labor after your neighbors, after your coworkers, after your family members? Some of you guys have been laboring after family for a long time. Keep laboring. Labor, because you don't know what Jesus is going to do. But you're called to labor. And you're called to labor because we have the victory anyway. Promise number three. Only Jesus sets free. Only Jesus sets free. Look at verse 56 and 57. Just when we thought it couldn't get any better, we find that Jesus can set us free from our bondage to sin and to the law. We've talked about this all through our, our Galatian series. This, yet again, is just another reason why we do have hope in this life when we put our faith in Jesus, why we ought to labor with every ounce of energy that we can, that the Lord works in us. The logic in these verses goes like this. Jesus removed the sting of death. Well, what is that? That's sin. Jesus removed sin. But furthermore, Jesus removed the power of sin. What is that? That's the law. Because the law produces in us all kinds of covetousness, all kinds of unrighteousness because we see the letter, but the letter doesn't give us any power to walk in faithfulness. It doesn't give us any power to overcome that. But Jesus does. Jesus, through his resurrection and defeat of death, Jesus brings us freedom from sin and from the law. And hear me, church, hear me. This isn't just an eschatological freedom. It will be, absolutely. We'll be fully free then. But this is a freedom you have today. I find a lot of times, I know a lot of people, they tend to have what's called an under-realized view of eschatology. They put too many things into the future. They push so much into the future away from today that Christ has actually given us for today until the last day. 
One prime example right here is the freedom that we have from sin. We have freedom from sin today. You don't have to sin. The scriptures command you to be holy as God is holy, to walk sinlessly. You are not enslaved anymore to those things that once held you down. Hear me, you can walk in newness of life because Christ Jesus has given you his Holy Spirit. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can bear fruit as we abide in him. This whole, the whole New Testament testifies to this. Does that mean we won't sin? Absolutely not. We will sin. The te- New Testament says this as well. It holds them in tension. But we repent when we sin, and we seek to abide in Jesus all the more. Do you know what the underrealized view sounds like from the pulpit? We spend all of our time talking about how sinful we always are rather than talking about how free Jesus has made us. He's made you free. Jesus has set you free from sin. You don't have to. When that temptation comes, you don't have to. You don't have to get mad at your children and frustratingly yell at them in anger. You don't have to sit in your bitterness. You don't have to sit in regret and unforgiveness. You don't have to gossip and slander that person. You don't have to lie. You don't have to steal. You don't have to lust with your eyes or lust with your hands or covet with your heart other people's things. You are free in Jesus. So walk like you're free. Walk in righteousness to be holy as he is holy. One of the biggest hindrances to faithful labor for the Lord is believing the lie that you aren't actually free as you really are. You are free. Let alone trying to labor for others to be free when you don't even feel that freedom yourself. That is a lie from the devil. Don't believe it. You are free in the Lord Jesus. The devil's got you believing a lie, and that lie is hindering you from fruitful labor, bringing that freedom to other people who need that freedom. He is hindering you from the work of the Lord. So replace that lie with the truth about your freedom, that you're redeemed, that you're a child of God, that you've been made new, that you're an heir with Christ, that you have the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit's the one who works through you, the Spirit's the one who empowers you, the Spirit's the one who bears fruit in your life. Do you look to him for help? Look to him, because you're free. You're free to do so. At the same time, remember also that Jesus has set us free from the law. The law is the power of sin because the law exposes our sinfulness. You put yourself next to the Ten Commandments, you find out real quick how sinful you are. At least I do, maybe nobody else. We shouldn't compare ourselves to other people and how good they are they think they are and how good we think they are compared to them, right? We should compare ourselves to God, his holiness, because once you start comparing yourself to God, you realize, man, I'm not meeting the mark. Wow, I really am a sinner. And what that should do is drive you to Jesus. Some people, when they do that, they think the solution is to just be good and do good and be better and make up for it. But that's self-righteousness. Self-righteousness doesn't get you into the kingdom. Righteousness gets you into the kingdom. And that righteousness is a gift through faith. Others pick up the law of the Ten Commandments. They pick up what it's putting down. Galatians 3 says there's no law that was given that could give life. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's true. I'm actually really as bad as this thing says that I am. The law brings condemnation. Oh, wow, yeah, I actually really am guilty of all these things, and I'm under the wrath of God. But they stop there, and then they despair under that condemnation. They give up. Do you see the problem with that? Romans 8 offers us the reality that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So instead of taking what the law was designed to do and running to Jesus, they take the law and they sit and they despair and they wallow in self-pity. We don't want that for anybody. I don't want that for any of you. I don't want that for me. I want to go to Jesus because in Jesus there's freedom. Hear this. Those who are in Christ who know Jesus have been set free from both. Sin, the power of sin, and they've been set free from the bondage of the law. Jesus has cleansed us of all sin, and in Romans 8, it's true. There's no condemnation for those of us who are in him. This third promise should drive us to labor as well, just like the other two did, because Jesus really does set people free. He sets us free from sin and from the law. We're now free to serve him. There's another thing, not just free not to sin, but we're free now to serve Jesus, in righteousness the way that he called us to, to serve him in the spirit rather than sit and wallow in despair. We can follow Jesus, obey Jesus. And one of those ways we obey Jesus is to labor for his name's sake. And we do it all for the sake of Christ. It's his name, not me, not you. It's his name. Our desire as freed men and freed women, if it is like Christ desires, 
is to see other men and women set free by Jesus because only he can do it. People need to know that there's freedom today and that freedom can happen today and that freedom can last for forever if they come to Jesus. And here's the reality. Jesus solves real life problems. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus solves real life problems, real sin problems? He he does. And we can bring our own problems to him. And we can bring others to him as well who have those same problems and the variety of difficulties that they face. Do you got problems in your marriage? Jesus can fix that. Do you got problems with managing your time? Jesus can fix that. Do you got problems with parenting? Jesus can fix all that. Jesus cares about the entirety of a person's life and their future today and in the end. And so should we. We should labor in this holistic way, not just caring for the soul and leaving the body out to rot, not just providing for the needs, go and be filled, God bless you, but not actually caring for the needs of a person. We should care and satisfy those needs, not just care for their body, and and then not just stop there either, so don't, don't fall off that end and just think that it's all about doing a bunch of good stuff for other people. We can't just stop there. We use that as an opportunity then to care deeper for their soul. What's the real thing that they need? They need to be close to Jesus, and we can lead them there. Both of those are important, their life and the life to come. It's all important for faithful labor, and as you labor, it's important to remember as well that it's Jesus who sets people free. Not you. Jesus does. And he's, he's so gracious to even use us. But he does it. This will keep you, hear me, this will keep you from unrealistic expectations of yourself. And I'm speaking specifically to people with your children. Don't put that weight on your shoulders. Oh, my children's salvation depends on me. Either positive or negative. Yeah, you screwed up and you sinned. That doesn't mean they're not going to be saved. Yeah, wow, you did everything right. That doesn't mean that they're going to be saved. Get rid of that unrealistic expectation. You have the power to save no one. And this will keep you from, from getting too, too, high, uh, too high expectations. For example, you've got to have, even in evangelism, you've got to have that gospel presentation to the T. You've got to have your I's. You've got to have your T's. You've got to have the bridge. You've got to be able to go through the Roman road. You don't got to have it perfect. Do you think everybody who was saved in the 3,000 in Acts chapter 2 had a perfect gospel presentation when they, when they shared the gospel with everybody else? I doubt it. I think they just went to somebody and said, hey, Jesus just literally changed my entire life. He can do that for you. Really? You don't got to have everything laid out perfect. You should know doctrine. You should know the Bible. You should be able to to do apologetics and argue and and make a, a stand for the faith. But hear me, when it comes to just sharing Jesus with people, just do it. Just do it. Love them. Love them. You don't got to have that high of an expectation for yourself. And also, it keeps you from getting too low. For example, man, I'm just, I'm just not gifted in doing evangelism, or, or I'm, just, I, I'm just too busy, or you know, I, I've done too much in my life. There's no way God's going to use me. Yes, he can. Yes, he will. He uses any of us. God even says in the scriptures, he uses the least of these to shame the strong. He uses the weak to shame the strong. He uses the, the foolish to shame the wise. If God uses a fool, man, sign me up. He can use me. And if he can use me, he can use you. So labor for the sake of the freedom of those who you will meet and you will share Jesus with them. Because when you share Jesus with them and you're willing to follow Jesus and obey Jesus, then Jesus is going to give you more labor to do. There's grace in the going. Don't expect when you're sitting at home for Jesus to give you an insurmountable boldness to share the gospel with with Muslims when you're not even going and sharing the gospel with your neighbor next door. There's grace in the going. Go and share. There's grace there. The Lord will bless when you obey. The church in the West has fallen asleep in a lot of ways. We've grown content with sitting in our pews on Sunday morning, singing some songs, critiquing some guy's preaching, and then going to lunch where the more food goes into our mouths, the more the Sunday gathering goes out the other side. We've grown content with working our nine-to-fives, giving our tithes with the expectation that the paid guy will do all the labor, and then we go home and sit in our $1,500 recliner and our $1,500 TV, and we watch SportsCenter. We're content. But it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. 
and this is, I'm being, I'm being clear here, but I want you to actually hear me. I'm actually begging you. I'm actually begging you. I don't want any of you in this room to leave this morning, this final gathering today, and find yourself lulled to sleep just like the rest of the country wherever you go. Don't find yourself lulled to sleep. Don't do it. Don't fall asleep. Stay awake. The Sunday gathering is where we come for encouragement, for, for a building, for edification, but then we're to live sent lives. This isn't it. We come and we enjoy and we labor here, but this isn't it. We go. We go out into the world because we need, these people need to hear about Jesus. We live sent because Jesus sent us. We go back out into the world and we labor for the kingdom of God. Hear me. There's more to life, church. There is more to a life of labor than on a Sunday morning. What about Monday through Saturday? There's more to your life, Christian. There's more than just going to church, going to work, making money, spending it all, and dying. So much more. So, so much more. Because there's plenty of work to be done. There's so much work. I, I think of Jesus' words, okay? He looks at his disciples in Matthew 9, and he says, hey, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers out into the harvest. The harvest is plentiful, and the laborers are few. Pray. And you know what he does in the very next chapter? He takes those same exact guys who were the ones praying for laborers, he takes them, and he sends them out into the harvest to be the laborers. What if you've been praying for so long for the Lord to send somebody to labor when you're the person that Jesus wants to send out and labor? What have you been praying so long? Man, God, bring a harvest. Man, the harvest is plentiful. The word of God is true. Bring a harvest. But he's been calling you to be the one that labors in your neighborhood, in your workplace, around your family members, for your friends. Have you been obedient? Have you been obedient? Jesus commissioned the same people who were praying for laborers to be the laborers. And Jesus has commissioned you like that, Christian, every single one of us, to be a laborer. Are you laboring? And hear this too, 2 Corinthians, apparently the Apostle Paul thinks it's good to examine yourself to see whether or not you're even a Christian. We should probably start there. Examine ourselves. If you're here this morning, I would encourage you from the Word of God. Examine your heart to see whether or not you're even really a Christian. But if that is good, an apostolic command from the Word of God, then I think it's good and right and important for us to do that we should examine ourselves of whether or not we're even laboring for Jesus. Are you laboring for Jesus? Examine yourself. Make an honest assessment. And remember this, the, heart's, the Lord's heart is tender towards you. It's not for condemnation. The Lord just wants to discipline you and use you for his glory. So if you examine yourself and you see you haven't been laboring, start today. Start today. Let it be a fresh beginning for you. The harvest is still plentiful and there's much work to be done. You can start today if you haven't started yet. Let's say you examine yourself and you see you have been laboring, but, but not as hard as you could. Well, hear this. Dig in. Dig in. Resolve to labor for the Lord fresh in this season. Let this be an opportunity for you to increase in labor. And last, if you examine yourself and you see you've been laboring as often as you can, then for Christ's sake, keep laboring. For his sake, keep laboring laboring, and teach other Christians how to do it. Bring them alongside you. Disciple them on how to labor. We need more laborers in the world, more Christians who are willing to go all in for Christ, not just part of the way. Jesus doesn't want just part of you. Jesus wants all of you, and those of us who are willing to give all of it to him, he's going to use us for his glory and for the good of the people in our lives, and he's going to pour our lives out as a sacrificial offering in service for him. Give him everything. What do you have to lose? Give him everything. So my final exhortation to you, beloved church. Labor. And labor until the end. Labor and labor until the end. As I began our time today, today's the day. It's our final gathering. But today is not the end. Today is not the end. And I believe that the Lord Jesus doesn't want any of us to miss one step in our labors for his kingdom. So keep laboring. Verse 51 and 52 tells us that, that we don't even know when the end will be. 
We may not even all face death in this life, Paul says, but we will all be changed. It's coming, both the living and the dead, in preparation for eternity. And notice, it will happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. You know how fast that is? Just like that. Not one of us knows when that will be. But it may come while we're still living. Do you want the Lord to find you as you are in the way that you're laboring for him today? Do you want him to find you laboring in as many ways as possible? That's what I would choose. If you would choose the latter as well, then labor with me. Labor with me. I've been saying labor all morning, but I want to be clear. Labor in this text, verse 58, is work done for the Lord. It's work done for him. This could include, for example, your job, because we're called in the word of God to to do all things heartily unto the Lord, but I think this doesn't refer to jobs. It doesn't refer to your work. I think this is specifically talking about kingdom labor, labor done to advance the rule of Christ in the world, good works done to express his rule, his reign, in the here and now through you. That is labor. And what that labor might look like in your life, I've intentionally not said anything because I would encourage you to devote time in prayer and ask the Holy Spirit what the labor is that he has for you. Generally, in the word of God, we already know what kind of labor should be done for the Lord. Feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, housing the homeless, caring for orphans and widows, giving of financial resources to the work of the Lord, preaching the gospel, discipling others, loving your neighbor. The list goes on and on and on. But my goal this morning is simply to leave you with Paul's exhortation to the Corinthian church. Verse 58. Therefore, meaning in light of everything about the resurrection that he just finished saying, therefore, In light of all the glorious promises about Jesus returning from the dead and giving us resurrection life, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable. This word is one word, and more or less it means be firm. They just give it two words to kind of thicken up the definition in the English. What it's saying, to put it in other words, don't budge from the hope that you have in the gospel. Paul said it back at the beginning of the chapter. It was this gospel they received, they rejoiced in it, and they now stand in it. And he urges them, stand in the gospel and don't budge from it. Don't budge from the gospel. And then he goes on to say, always. Do you hear that? The, The apostolic expectation is that the everyday believer would always labor for the Lord. Do you find yourself always laboring for the Lord? Paul's writing to the members of the church, remember? He's not writing to the church staff and telling them they're the ones who should be always doing ministry, always laboring. He's writing to the members of the church, the people who've got one, two, three jobs, whatever they've got going on, the ones whose lives are dependent on the work of their hands. Every Christian is called to always labor. So let me ask you this. What are your priorities? Is labor a priority for you? Don't store your treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy. Store your treasure in heaven. For some in here, it may shift the entire way that you live your life. But what is Jesus worth? What are these promises worth? What are the lost and dying worth? And then it says abounding. That word is giving yourself fully. Are you giving yourself fully over to labor? Always. What would that look in your life to abound in labor? I would encourage you that it's possible. Otherwise, it wouldn't be expected in the scriptures. So how would it look to be possible for you? Maybe you can start doing one act of kindness every day for the Lord. Just one. Pay it forward at the coffee shop. Ask another human being how life is going. Talk to them. One step. Invite your neighbors for dinner. Anywhere there's another human being existence in existence, there's an opportunity for you to labor over somebody. Will you capitalize on it? And lastly, I want to point this out. This is the most important of all. Labor in the Lord. That is, you labor by the strength that Christ provides. He gives it to us by his spirit. You and I, we are weak. We are tired. We burn out. But one reason we burn out is because somewhere along the way, we dig in our heels and we try to muscle through our problems by our own strength rather than giving them to the Lord. 
We stop asking him for the endurance, the perseverance, the grace, and we just try to muscle through it. And then what happens? We burn out. The Lord doesn't want any of that for you. He's with you. He wants to help you. And his strength is of infinite supply. It never runs out. Yours does. He knows your weakness, which is why he tells you to come to him. He is our strength. So again, I would encourage you to prayer. Pray. This time, though, I would encourage you to pray and surrender your labor to him. Every avenue, every corridor of your life that you have not given to the Lord for labor, I would ask you to pray and say, Lord, what, what are those things in my life? And let him show you. And when he shows you those things, give them to him. Confess. You can't do it by your own strength. These are all the ways you've been holding back. Lord, take it and use me. Use me. You need his strength. Church, Jesus must increase in each of us. And we must decrease because our labor isn't ours and it's not for our name's sake. <laughs> it's not for our glory, for accolades, for fame, for numbers, for recognitions, for platforms. Not to us, God. Not to us. But to you be the glory. Ephesians 2 teaches us the Lord's the one who's prepared all the good works for us anyway. For us to walk in them. How gracious is it? of God to, to give us what we have to do and then empower us to do it so that we could serve him, that he would allow us the privilege to join him in his global mission of calling people of every tribe, nation, and tongue to himself. What worthy labor to participate in. We labor because we love him and we want to obey him. We want to see his name lifted high and we want to see more people join the family of God in Christ Jesus who are filled with joy and expressible and who want Jesus more than anything in this life and they want to give their lives fully over him, finally over to him until the end of this life and the life to come. One day when we stand before him, he will reward our good works with crowns. And just as soon as those crowns meet the grips of our hands, we will throw them right down to his feet. Because all along it was him working through us to accomplish his purposes. Thank you, Jesus. C.T. Stubb was a missionary with Hudson Taylor in the 1800s, and he writes this. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Either we will sleep or the Lord Jesus will return and catch us up with him. In that day, it'll all be over. The clock is ticking. Only what's done for Christ will last. Redeemer. Labor until the end, until that day. And in that day, we will rest with him from our labors because we will enter into his rest and be with him where he is. We'll look upon his face and his presence with fullness of joy. Our God will dwell with us. He will host a celebration, a wedding supper, a feast where we'll eat with him and rejoice with him where all of his children whom he loves, whom he embraces, whom he's brought to himself will be gathered and we'll look upon the Lord Jesus as he lifts the bread and he lifts the cup and new in his kingdom. And we look forward to that day as we observe the Lord's Supper. One last time together today. This meal points our eyes to that meal as we await with steadfast labor. So let's rejoice. Let's remember and let's look forward to that day one more time together until we eat it anew with him and his kingdom.